Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Elizabeth Bradley, the Faculty Director for the Global Health Initiative and the Global Health Leadership Institute, both of which are here at Yale. She is also a professor at Yale School of Public Health. Professor Bradley's research focuses on health delivery systems and quality improvement and has contributed important findings about organizational change and quality of care within the hospital, nursing home, and hospice settings. She has been involved with several projects that aim to strengthen health systems in international settings, including China, Ethiopia, Liberia, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. Today we talk with Professor Bradley about the global health efforts at Yale, as well as some of her recent work as a recipient of a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation grant. Welcome, Professor Bradley. Thank you so much. A great honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Um, let's begin with talking about the global health initiatives and how they've evolved over the past three years here at Yale. Sure. Thank you very much. It was in 2009 when President Levin and President-elect Salovey recognized that students at Yale were dying to do more in the area of health promotion globally. And we really didn't have any programs in that. We had individual courses, we had individual faculty, but they decided we needed to coalesce the resources that we had at Yale within something called the Global Health Initiative. Mm -hmm. Within very, uh, and they asked me to direct this initiative. It is a faculty-led initiative. We uh, have an advisory group of faculty so that we try very hard to make it interdisciplinary from the very beginning. The initiative has ended up generating enormous interest. I think more than 30 or 35 courses have been now started in the global health area. Mm -hmm. We have an undergraduate global health fellowship and global health studies program. In the graduate school, we also have a global health certificate now. And finally, in the professional schools of nursing, medicine, and public health, they all have global health concentrations now. So okay. it's wholly different than three years ago. Mm -hmm. And what does the future hold, do you think, for the Global Health Initiative, and, and how are you going to get there? Yeah. I think the future is very bright. Mm -hmm. We have more and more students taking these classes. Um, we have more and more faculty who are meeting each other. This is another enormous contribution of doing something as a single university. We can be more unified in our approach. For instance, before 2009, somebody in anthropology might be working in Nepal and have no idea that an economist is working there also. And if they could collaborate, they could really make change. Sure. So because we have more educational programs, because the faculty are meeting each other from different disciplines, I think it's very, very bright. Mm -hmm. A couple of the things that we absolutely need, we know from our past work is we have to have championship at the top of the university. Mm -hmm. And um, we have that very strongly, I think, with Peter Salovey. Um, and we also have to have the champions that are in the donor pools that are uh, really thinking, how can a university improve human health in the globe? Mm -hmm. um, and so far, I think the donors that we have at Yale have been very generous, but I think that's important to continue to grow, attract new faculty, attract some of the greatest minds in this to mm -hmm. Yale. Can you speak to any of the successes that you've had to date out in the world, um, making specific impacts in countries? Sure. Well, I think my favorite story is the one from Ghana. Um, and this is because Ghana really had been a country in which Yale was working with very closely on a number of levels. Mm -hmm. Linda Lorimer has visited, uh, you know, it's a country that we know the president of, et cetera. 
Um, and we ended up doing a huge research project there. Chris Udry really read, led this from mm -hmm. the economics department um, to understand what really is the employment impact of mental health problems in Ghana. So this is a situation where epidemiologists came together, anthropologists, economists from Ghana and from Yale, mm -hmm. and ultimately created the research necessary to quantify what is the GDP lost that is attributable to mental health uh, problems mm -hmm. in the country. And ultimately, the GDP equivalent of the mental health problems were at like six or seven percent of the GDP foregone. Mm -hmm. To be able to itemize that and then tee that information up to the key policy uh, people, including the president of Ghana, made all the difference. Oh, wow. In the last eight months, they've written their first mental health policy that is a state-of-the-art policy for improving mental health in Ghana. Mm -hmm. Now there's a lot of action to be done on the ground, which I think we have the staff to help them with, but mm -hmm. it's a place where research and practice met, and now I think many, many people in Ghana can be better off. Mm -hmm. Are you targeting another country to do the same kind of work? We try hard to find out the countries that we're working with, what is their priority. Mm -hmm. The reason this worked in Ghana is Ghana asked for help on this issue. Mm -hmm. So they were primed to do something. And so when we work with other countries, we try to start with that too. So it's not the same issue in another country, but Ethiopia would be another place we work like this with. But in that country, we're, we work much more on the quality of their hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're also working with several other countries on different sort of public health problems they've brought to us. We try to figure out who are the faculty who can do something right, on this. Right, great. Do you also send students out into the world to try and assist? Absolutely. Tell us, we, talk a little bit about some of the experiences. Yeah, the students have just been unbelievably creative in what they have come up with. Um, and we do, through the Global Health Initiative, we probably send 50 or 60 students ultimately go overseas to do something in the area of health. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the more transformational um, things that have occurred, uh, we had one student last year who went to Ethiopia uh, specifically and worked on a new method for um, giving, its, giving birth in health centers. In Ethiopia, 93% of women give birth in their village, mm -hmm. which would be in a hut with no really sanitation sure. or anything like this. And the student who was pre-med actually got involved in redesigning a prototype ideal kind of health center where they would have the right kind of gloves, they would have the right kind of sort of cultural norms to be able to bring women to give birth there. And it's mm -hmm. really in place now. Really? And that student was, you know, they were part of a team, but because they could be wrapped in a large team of people working on something like this, it could make a difference. A student on their own probably couldn't do that much, but when you wrap them with an um, ongoing initiative like this, mm -hmm. they can be placed in a right, place right. to really be successful. Another success story, I think, is the um, Global Leadership Institute. Institute. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about that. Tell yep. us about it and, and how it yeah. is successful and how it fits into the program overall. Yeah. Actually, the Global Health Leadership Institute is the flagship program of the Global Health Initiative. Okay. It is what began the Global Health Initiative, and I think it's important that it's a leadership institute. This is what distinguishes Yale in its global health work. Mm -hmm. If we look at the mission of Yale, in addition to discovering new knowledge, it is to educate people for leadership. So in the global health arena, the Leadership Institute works on courses that are helpful for students, but also engaging with other countries, delegations, who want to lead to make a change. So every year we have a conference. Um, 
That's a five-day conference where we invite four delegations from four separate countries, very high-level policymakers, and we embed students in those delegations mm -hmm. and faculty. So then you have a group who's really able to go back. They, they develop a strategic plan to address the problem they want, and they go back to their country and do that. So, what are some of the countries? Um, well, Ghana, Ethiopia, Liberia mm -hmm. has come, South Africa has come. Um, Brazil and Turkey are going to come this year. Okay. Yeah. Very so it's good. all different. Uh -huh. And I think um, the Brazil and Turkey effort is going to be on how to, this will bring together several things we've done because it will be a focus on children and it will be a focus on children's mental health development at very young ages. How do you bring about healthy development to hopefully build a healthy adult group? So okay. I think it's, it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Lastly, let's talk about your, uh, the work you've been doing with the um, Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation sure. and specifically the AIDED model. Sure. Yeah, this is fascinating work. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was worried about a problem they had which is they constantly are discovering new transformational um, innovations they could use, mm -hmm. but then people wouldn't necessarily take them up. So whereas we look at Microsoft, how successful it was, when Melinda and Bill and Melinda Gates might go to Nepal and say, here's a new way in which we'll do contraception. Can you use this widget? They realized no one was really taking it up. So they contracted with us to develop a model of dissemination and diffusion. How do you take a good idea and put it into practice? We ended up getting a multidisciplinary team together and doing a very intensive literature review of all kinds of public health innovations that had spread virally and studied exactly how did it occur. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we ended up using a model from molecular biology to understand, well, how does HIV spread? What ex how does it work? And can we look at socially, can we look at analogs to each of those steps and see it in the social world? And we ended up creating a model called AIDED, which has five steps to it all that happen kind of in a complex adaptive system, mm -hmm. but um, assessing the environment, innovating to fit really a receptor user group, developing support around the innovation, political and economic support engaging in the user community mm -hmm. and then devolving to other users through social networks. And the model is fascinating because um, pretty much everybody that we work with now, as we're trying to spread our new information we might get, we think of wrapping it in this model. It's mm -hmm. sort of a way, you know, marketing people might know this uh, second nature, but global health people, this isn't something that we've really mm -hmm. used. So. Now, when, when you talk about that model, what comes to mind is, the um, person who was in Africa helping with the deliveries, and I immediately thought, I, culturally, would this be something that the women would embrace going to a hospital versus the, the centuries-old practice of giving birth in their exactly. hut? Exactly. So was that an obstacle to overcome? Enormous obstacle, and the way it was overcome is one very important piece of giving birth in Ethiopia is the coffee ceremony. And um, so we ended up including a full coffee ceremony in the clinic where you would give birth. So okay, that you have to tell me what the coffee ceremony yeah, is. It's a, oh, well, Ethiopia's <laughs> coffee is the best of all. Um, but it is a very carefully done ceremony where people are served coffee, three cups of coffee, that um, you have incense and popcorn, and it's really a is party. Is this while the woman is giving birth, or no, before no. or after? After, okay. after. But it's a celebration, and uh -huh. it's something Ethiopians know to do, and it costs money. Sure. And so what we ended up doing was designing a method by which um, you could make it culturally acceptable to go to a clinic. 
where the people who brought you would be fed and you'd have you know a feast mm -hmm. and a coffee ceremony afterwards so mm -hmm. little things like that I mean there are many many more clinical things but that's something maybe mm -hmm. the layperson can understand sure. it's sort of making something fit in the culture right right yeah. I think it go that that cultural aspect and possibly also an economic aspect are are the two biggest hurdles toward um, why something would not be um, yes. taken and adapted and used, yes, yes. I would imagine. Culture, politics, okay. and economics. Right, right. Yeah, and so we often find that the economic world might be working against the health world mm -hmm. at times. And we have to work carefully to say, how can we use what is reality and maybe twist it a little bit so that we can have our cake and eat it too. We mm -hmm. can have a healthy economy and we can have healthy people. Right. Very good. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing some of your work. Oh, thank you for your interest. It's very, very fun. Great. Okay. For more information about Professor Bradley and her research, please visit our website at yale.edu slash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.